The scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus went on ahead of his disciples, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would cry out. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to pick up the story at verse 41 in Luke chapter 19. As Jesus came near and saw the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, if you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. This is actually what would happen 40 years later in AD 70 when the Romans would invade Jerusalem and destroy the city and its temple. Then, and Luke doesn't tell us the timing, but the other Gospels tell us it's the next day. Then he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling things there. And he said, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the leaders of the people kept looking for a way to kill him. But they did not find anything they could do. For all the people were spellbound by what they heard. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me invite you, if you have your pew Bible there, to turn to page 954 during the sermon I'm going to refer to. Philippians chapter 2, and it might be helpful for some of you if you have that open, page 954, I believe it is, Philippians chapter 2. But let me also read another verse of Scripture. This time, this is from John's Gospel. And the Scripture is this. It's at the end of the week after Jesus goes into Jerusalem. He's at his trial, and Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, asked Jesus, So you were a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. 
Let's bow before God in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, in the midst of all the noises around about us, the voices and the sounds, many of which reflect your glory, but many of which lead us astray from you, help us to hear your voice, sometimes still and quiet, sometimes in the thunder of glorious music, sometimes through the proclamation of an imperfect word, sometimes through the reading of your perfect word in Scripture, but help us this day to hear your voice and to find your challenge and to find your comfort and to find your power to change. It is in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray this. Amen. The voice that you listen to, the one who for you is king or queen in your life, makes a huge difference. A huge difference. It changes things. Whether you listen to Mr. Putin or Mr. Zelensky, it changes things. Whether you listen to Fox News or to MSNBC, it changes things. Whether you listen to the CDC or your doctor or to whoever else is saying something about COVID, the voice you listen to changes things. Whether it's public and political, somewhere out there coming at us, or an inner voice in here. The late Norman Vincent Peale was in Hong Kong some years ago, passed by a tattoo studio, noticing various tattoos in the window. Most of them were pretty mild, uh, anchors, flags, mermaids, that sort of thing. But then he saw one that struck him, and it was words, and it said, born to lose, born to lose. He entered the shop in astonishment and pointing to the words, he asked the artist, does anyone really want that tattoo emblazoned on their body somewhere, born to lose? The man replied, yes, sometimes they do. To which Peel replied, but I just can't believe that anyone in their right mind would want that placed upon themselves. To which the artist responded, before the words are on the body, the words are in the mind. Before the words are on the body, the words are in the mind. How sad that is. But I think all too true and all too common in our minds, there are not only words that lift us up, but very often there are words that bring us down and crush us. Words are phrases that we've heard from someone, somewhere. We may or may not know who it is, though sometimes we do. And we've given room to them in our hearts and our minds. We've given them a home, a place to dwell and remain and to cripple us. Psychiatrist Dr. Smiley Blanton once told the story of a man by the name of Gillespie who came to him with a crippling sense of inferiority that was making his life absolutely miserable. As Dr. Blanton probed into this man's past, he discovered that when he was 14, this man Gillespie this man had had a teacher, a math teacher, who treated him despicably. He would make him stand in front of the class to answer questions in algebra that he knew that he could not answer, but he would call on him anyway. He was simply cruel and I think wicked. And he called upon Gillespie in front of the whole class, and he would stand there, unable to do anything. And then the teacher would repeatedly tell Gillespie that his brain was useless, his brain was empty. And he said it often enough, 
until Gillespie began to believe it. Those words poisoned him year after year after year until Dr. Blanton exposed what had happened, brought to the surface what was going on on the inside, and disempowered the king in Gillespie's life, whose voice he had been listening to all those years. In my own case, when I was in my teens and my early 20s, I had very little self-confidence. I'm not sure exactly why. I'm not sure exactly whose voice I was listening to. But I absolutely know the voices of those who lifted me out of that pool of despair within which I was wallowing. Professors at seminary, Dr. Lincoln, Dr. Lamont, Dr. Klein, Dr. Ochtemeyer. Every single one of them at some point said something to me, and I'm sure to others, but said something to me, and by their words of encouragement, they changed my life. There is no doubt about it. They absolutely changed my life from I cannot, or I will not, I won't even try, to why not? Maybe I can. Yeah, yeah, I think I can. And even someone like Bill Gates needed to hear and needs to hear such a voice as this, this kind of voice, bringing them freedom in their lives from an imprisonment in which they find themselves because of the voice they have chosen to listen to. Reflecting on his childhood, Bill Gates writes in one of his blogs about his school librarian, Mrs. Kaffir. He writes, when I first met Mrs. Kaffir, she was the elegant and engaging school librarian at Seattle's View Ridge Elementary. And I was a timid fourth grader. I was desperately trying to go unnoticed because I had some big deficits like atrocious handwriting and trying to hide the fact that I liked to read, something that was cool for girls but not for boys. Mrs. Kaffir took me under her wing and helped make it okay for me to be a messy, nerdy boy who was reading lots of books. She recommended books, then asked him what he had been reading. And he said she genuinely listened to what I had to say. And of course, the doors in his life began to open wide. So here's the question again with which I began. Whose voice? Whose voice do you listen to? Who is the king? Who is the queen within your life in reality? the one we hear the most. Our choices clearly make a huge difference on a public level. They make a huge difference on a psychological level. And also, quite clearly, they make a huge difference on a spiritual level. Every moment, on the outside and the inside, we must ask this question. Whose voice am I listening to? Who's my king or who's my queen? For a moment, at least, that crowd that was gathered there on the Mount of Olives just outside Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, they knew the answer to that question. The truth was clear to them. Jesus was their king. It was his voice above all other voices that they should listen to. As they waved their palm branches, according to our passage of Scripture in Luke uh, chapter 19, they sang, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the king. This is the king. This one before us, riding on a donkey, is the king. His is the voice that we need to listen to. He may not have looked too regal that day, but the next day, oh yes, 
Jesus' power and his authority came out in full display, as well as his courage. He goes right into the heart, as it were, of enemy territory. The people who wanted to kill him were in charge of the temple and everything that surrounded it. And he turned out those who were buying and selling sacrifices and other things, sort of necessary for worship, but not in the heart of the temple. He threw them out of the temple, cleaning out the house, saying, this is not how God wants it to be. The voice of God in Scripture says this is to be a house of prayer, and others would add from Isaiah, for all the nations, for people of every tongue and tribe and nation. This is to be a house of prayer, and you've turned it into a den of thieves and robbers. We need leaders like that, no mistake about it. Leaders with courage, leaders with strength. We need to listen to them, people who can stand up to power, and to peer pressure, and break with the dominant voices of our day and age when necessary. We need such leaders to do what is right. But let me say this. If all we have are leaders who dwell on power, and who found that, find their identity wrapped up in the wielding of power, if this is all we have in leadership, God help us. God help us. What we need as well as power, it's like two sides of a coin, is a humility that goes along with the power, is the identity of a powerful person which is not wrapped up in the wielding of that power or that authority. Two sides of the coin, there must be the character of love and humility and graciousness and courage to be with the small as well as the great. And this is surely what we find in Jesus it was true, though, to begin with, not just in Jesus, but in those stories that I've already told, this need for the other side of the coin. True for Gillespie with Dr. Blanton, who listened to him with a quiet humility, story after story. True for Bill Gates with Mrs. Kaffir. True for me with my professors. I mean, they were at the top of their game, but they came down to my level. And true as well for someone whom some of you may know. His name is Jamie Tart. Some of you know the name because you've been watching Apple TV and you have been watching a massive hit just now called Ted Lasso. I say this rather cautiously because there is more bad language in two minutes in Ted Lasso than in just about any program on the television or being streamed these days and more innuendos that are inappropriate than you can count. But there are also many scenes that are absolutely priceless. This particular story about Jamie Tart revolves around a soccer team in England on which he plays. The team is managed by an American, and one of the stars of the team is this man, Jamie Tart. He should be the leader. He should be the voice. But he's not. He's absolutely obnoxious. He tries to be cool, and he tries to be tough. He's never going to give in to anyone. But he ends up just being a prima donna who plays the game alone and not with the team. He has no interest whatsoever in anyone other than himself. In one scene, though, in a locker room, he shares with the team why he's like that. And the reason has to do, you may guess it, with the voice that he's been listening to. He describes the situation like this. He holds up a pair of soccer boots and says this. He says, these aren't my first boots or anything, but my mom gave them to me. She was the one who got me into football in the first place. 
Her and my dad split up when I was just a little baby. She's the reason I worked so hard. I just wanted to make her proud. She doesn't even care if I'm any good. She just wants me to be happy, to be a good lad. Once I started to become good, my old man began showing up, began bragging to all his mates every time I scored a goal, calling me soft if I didn't dominate, you know, and I hated that. So I made the vow to be so tough that he could never call me soft again. I wonder if sometimes I forget about making my mom proud. I don't think she would be proud lately. The voice he listened to, the king for him, was clearly the wrong voice. It was the voice of his father. This was the one dominating his life, telling him that power and control was the name of the game, while on the other hand, the voice of his mother, the queen, was the voice that would have given him life and liberty and would have allowed that life and liberty to flow into the lives of others, not only for his own goodness and greatness, but for theirs as well. But that voice had been silenced by the other voice. How desperately we need both voices in our lives. Power, yes, there is a time when we need it. And to know the power of our agency within this world and to know that the one we are closely linked to has more power than anyone else. But we also need to know that the voice we listen to is soft and gentle and humble and filled with love. Both are to be found in Jesus. Both are to be found in the one who is our true king. The day after Palm Sunday in the temple, it's power. Turns over the money changers in the temple. He has authority. He has courage. He is a leader. But on Palm Sunday itself, the image we're given is of Jesus on this donkey. Jesus' descent down the Mount of Olives and into the valley below. Neither of these are inconsequential descriptions of Jesus. It is not a horse that he comes on. It is not a chariot he comes on. It is a donkey. And the descent down the Mount of Olives is important as well because it describes graphically Jesus' descent from heaven to earth to be with us in flesh and blood, the one who loves us passionately and who does not cling to power, but who lets it go in order to come to us and be with us and stay with us. There is no place in Scripture better than the second chapter of Philippians that describes this. As I mentioned earlier, it's in your Pew Bible, page 954, and I hope this week this is a passage that you will meditate on often. Philippians chapter 2, and reading at verse 5. This is a description of Jesus. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, this is a statement about Jesus' eternal divinity, his pre-existence before he enters this world. Though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited or grasped or held on to. The power was not essential to his sense of identity, as if this is who he had to be macho to show others. But he emptied himself taking the form of a servant or a slave and being born in human likeness and being found in human form, fully God, fully human, he humbled himself 
and became obedient even to the point of death, death on the cross. And then are therefore, only after that, this power, which he still had but didn't cling to, this humility and this love, only after that demonstrated in flesh and blood, therefore God highly exalted him and gave to him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord, King, that's what Lord means, to the glory of God the Father. When you know that someone will do that kind of thing for you, especially when they are powerful, when they will descend to you as Jesus descended down the Mount of Olives on a donkey, when you know that, then that is the voice that you should listen to. This is the voice that will never betray you and never let you down. You've found the right voice. And that's the voice we find in our Lord Jesus Christ. One of my heroes, as some of you know, is Winston Churchill. He was not exactly known for his humility, but it was well known that in World War I, maybe forgotten just now, but well known that he left his post in the cabinet of the Prime Minister of Great Britain and became a colonel on the front line, where he chose as his first task to do something quite deliberately. The front line, well, it was trenches, not too far from where the Germans were. And the trenches where his soldiers were, were filled with lice. And the soldiers were covered with lice. And the first thing he did when he arrived was to make sure that he, as best he could, I'm not sure it was possible completely, was to get rid of the lice. And every single one of his troops knew that he cared for them on that kind of a level. Clearly, this man of great power was willing to go to great lengths to care for these people and to be with them even though they were in the midst of danger. In a certain sense, he was just like President Zelensky in Kyiv or King George VI in World War II who stayed in London despite the bombing. Churchill refused to go back from the front line. His headquarters was 900 yards from the enemy side. And further, his men saw not only that he was there, but he was willing to go even further into no man's land when called upon to do so. At night time, there would be a group that would go into no man's land, leave the trenches to pick up the wounded, the dying, and the dead. And Churchill took his turn to do that. He took his turn to do that. Some of this was reported by a man who himself later became a general. At the time, he was a lieutenant, Edmund Haskell Smith. And he puts it like this about Churchill's behavior in no man's land, which was, which was notorious. He says, it was a nerve-wracking experience to go with him. He was like a baby elephant out in no man's land at night. He never fell when a shell went off. He never ducked when a bullet went by with its loud crack. Of course, as history shows, the British public were pretty fickle when it came to listening to Churchill. Sometimes they did wholeheartedly. I mean, they really did. They longed for his voice to hear his voice. And then sometimes they didn't. They just didn't. But of course, 
Churchill wasn't the true king. There was another king in that land, and there's another king above him and above everyone else to whom we need to turn, whose name is Jesus. He is the king, and even the person who is about to put him to death, who comes into the story at the end of the week that follows, it seems had an inkling that this was in fact the truth. Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, he was the one who seemed to have all the power to wield, and he takes and places his power over Jesus, who tells him that nothing can happen to him that is not ordained by God. But at the trial, there is this interesting conversation, the verse that I read right at the beginning, in which Pilate asks Jesus this explicit question, so you are a king, he says? Jesus answers, you say that I am a king. For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to me. If he's the king, we listen. We can say he's the king, but we don't listen. He's not the king. He's not the one. But if he's the one, says Jesus, you will listen to my voice. And then all four Gospels add that when Jesus was crucified, a plaque was placed upon the cross, which said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, and Pilate, according to John's Gospel, ordered it to be there. The inscription was written not just in Hebrew for the local people, but it was written in Latin and in Greek as well, as if Pilate somehow had this inkling that this claim well, there was more to it than meets the eye. And that whether he knew about it or not, unwittingly he was saying, hmm, more than king of the Jews, the king of those who speak all the languages of the world, this is the one to whom we must listen. The religious leaders asked Pilate to take it down, but he refused. No, what I've written, I've written. Here is our king, my friends, on this Palm Sunday the one sent to us by God, the one on the donkey 2,000 years ago, the one who descends to us and yet has all the power in the universe to wield, but does not cling to his power. His is the voice in the myriad of voices out there that we have been called to listen to. So today, this week, and always, be still and listen to the voice that matters and find his liberating power at work in your life more than ever before. This is the good news of the gospel. Let us pray. Holy God, come to us, we pray. And in the midst of busy lives with so many voices, help us to listen to you, to be still and know that you, Lord Jesus, are God. And in that listening, may we hear words from you which lift us up, that crucify old voices which drag us down, that put them to death, that we might find your life at work within us now and always. Through Jesus, through your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.